Welcome to Antimatter Pod, a Star Trek podcast where we discuss fashion, feminism, subtext, and subspace. Hosted by Annika and Liz. Today we're talking about Star Trek news in this very odd summer of 2020. So odd. So odd. I'm meant to be on a plane to New Zealand next week. Star Trek Las Vegas was supposed to be next week. Oh, that's right. We were going to be doing them at the same time. Yeah, so... (sighs) In fact, I think originally that was going to be our recording weekend and we were facing all sorts of time zone and logistical challenges and I'm (laughs) really disappointed that... Back into the bathroom for me. (laughs) (laughs) I had splurged and gotten a hotel room all to myself in Wellington because... I, I just know that after a day of world conning, I could not face other people. And yeah, anyway, one day. Yes. <sighs> in theory, conventions will come back. Yeah, and, and if Las Vegas wanted to stay around the sort of end of the year period, I might even get to go one day. August is the busiest time at work for me, and I wouldn't be able to go for long enough to justify the time zone change. Ooh, yeah. Yep, it's rough. It's rough. The December dates, which I definitely don't believe are happening, but no. <laughs> are are not good for me. That's no. basically when finals happen. <laughs> and I, the the yeah. end of the semester and all of the nonsense that happens. The beginnings mm. and ends of semesters are really busy. But right now, I'm really busy every day. Because every every day is a new challenge. <laughs> twenty twenty, it just keeps happening, <laughs> and I am not alone. I'm pretty sure it's universal. That's... One thing that was not overwhelming us with new information and challenges was uh, the Star Trek stuff at San Diego Comic Con. I was yeah. a little disappointed. It was a is a, a definitive lack of news. <laughs> I sort of understand that they wanted to have a big splash and a big show and and talk about all their projects, but they also actually have nothing to say because nothing's really happening. No, and I was really hoping that I would wake up yesterday morning and there would at least be a release date for Discovery, even if it was, for example, December. Like, I am quite sure it's going to be season three of Discovery for Christmas. But nothing. Yes. (laughs) And the Q&A for both Discovery and Picard, they had no new material to promote, nothing to talk about. So it was just rehashing what's already gone. And I don't really enjoy watching that, especially when I'm critical of what's already gone. The, the Discovery actors, I felt the worst for it. Like the Picard people, they legitimately had nothing to say. No. It wasn't their fault. They just, they don't, they don't even know if what season two is going to be. They know nothing. So, no, no. so they couldn't even talk about, you know, what, what had done or, or any, mm. any news or any ideas. But the Discovery crew, they filmed and completed all of season three and they still can't talk about it. No. So I just feel terrible for them. 
I feel particularly bad for Wilson Cruz because he seems so hyped for season three and he has let slip that he thinks Burnham is is the captain or he said something in an interview elsewhere about supporting Sonequa as the captain and I was like oh really that's an, what an interesting phrase and then here he was talking about you know Colba becoming more three-dimensional and stepping into a sort of ship's counsellor role which I'm very keen for though I he, he needs therapy more than anyone else um, but yeah, that, this was meant to be a victory lap for Picard and probably for season three of Discovery. And it's it's disappointing. I, under, I understand why there's nothing new, but it just right. meant for a bit of a hollow experience. On one hand, I really think it's great that they're doing all this virtual stuff and especially for San Diego Comic-Con, which is impossible. Yeah. It is it is so difficult to go to San Diego Comic-Con and even if you do go to actually like accomplish doing something there. Yes, it sounds like a very stressful con. It feels like if they're making it accessible and it's like this, you know, it's exciting, but at the same time the problems that the Star Trek crew had are also universal. No one has anything new to talk about. They can't make these big announcements and get everybody revved up the way they normally can. They can't do the like, we're going to introduce new people from, you know, that you didn't know were on this panel, which yeah. is a huge part of the Star Trek Picard panel because they're not all in the same place even. Like there's, there's no way to like build up that excitement. There's no giant, you know, thousands of people screaming. So it's a very, very different experience yeah. from even just watch, even for me, watching it on YouTube at home like I normally do. Right. <laughs> I yes. get to see the audience and all the surprises and, you know, watch everybody stand up and clap and be excited and, and all of that stuff and that you just can't accomplish with a Zoom call. <laughs> No, no. And this is not to fault anyone. I think this is the only no, no. way Comic-Con could have got ahead. And purely from a branding perspective, I think this is much better than cancelling altogether, which Absolutely. would have killed their momentum dead. I, I don't fault anyone, but I'm also allowing myself to be disappointed, which is also how I feel about Worldcon, which has moved online. And I'm just, my computer would not stand up to five days of an online convention. So, Yeah. <laughs> sad. The new stuff we got was the title of Star Trek Prodigy, which I think leaked a little while ago, but yes. it's nice to have it confirmed. The title and the description were both leaked months and months, like forever yeah, ago. Yeah. So it wasn't new, but it was sort of confirmed and, and released as if it were new. Well, I don't think that it had ever been officially announced. And now we know no, who the showrunners are and we know that Erin McDonald is heavily involved as a science advisor and that this is a show that wants to get kids excited about science, which as a nerd, I think is really cool. And Absolutely. As long as it's not done in the style of a public service announcement, which I don't hey. expect. <laughs> so... Because it's on Nickelodeon, this mm. is related, yes. and I think is a great, great story. So, my daughter, yes, who recently graduated from college with an environmental science degree. Wow! Congratulations to her. Yes. Uh, so you know she and and she wants to do science communication. She mm. tried out a lot of different, you know, uh, ideas, research, 
and teaching and what she's most excited for is scientific communication, which is basically taking all the gobbledygook that is science and explaining it to the masses. And as a person who really struggles with <laughs> scientific concepts, I think that is fantastic. That is so important. And she has said many times that Blue's Clues on Nickelodeon, <laughs> which she was we, we were a devoted Blue's Clues household, <laughs> taught her the scientific method and taught her how to think logically and to mm. look around at all of the, your environments in order to understand the secrets of something. You know, sort of like forensic and, and any, you know, going out into the world mm. and and doing science kind of thing, she said that Blue's Clues was her foundation for that. That's amazing. And, you know, I know young people who've learned Korean because they were into K-pop or learned martial arts or an Asian language because they were big Avatar or anime fans. And so, yeah, I think this is a really good... It's a great concept from a storytelling perspective, a bunch of... I don't want to say dirtbag teens, but dirtbag teens steal an old starship and have adventures and find themselves along the way. I think that is so exciting. I know! I absolutely trust Nickelodeon to do it in a way that will be interesting to kids, Mm. but but won't be like talking down to them. It'll be treating them as though they are capable of understanding what's going on. Yes. I have reservations about Nickelodeon but purely because of the way they treated Legend of Korra uh, they were not happy to have a series with a female lead and they cut its budget repeatedly including in the very last tranche of the last season so they had to have a clip show so I hope Nickelodeon has evolved since then Uh, but you know that was 2014 and this is going to be seven years later so let's be optimistic (laughs) there you go Although I'm not really optimistic about anyone's budget right now. Yeah, we've discussed how I have an optimism problem. Um, (laughs) But they'll just think outside the box like Blue's Clues. Yeah, yeah. And also I feel like animation seems to be one of the few fields where work is still progressing. Maybe not as normal, but steadily. Yes. Uh, Which brings us to Lower Decks. Okay, so Lower Decks is starting really soon. I know. Just a couple weeks now, and we will have new Star Trek on television. Woo! I'm very excited, but I'm also like, there's no international release beyond Canada, so I need to figure out how to get like access to a CBL access stream. Oh dear. <laughs> I'm like, maybe if I get a VPN and maybe they take those prepaid visas, and I will just force them to take my money. Oh no. Good luck. I have, I have no, I, I don't, I live no. in America. So given the option, I would rather not pirate it, but. But if they don't make it available to you, what are you going to do? Look, there's a reason why Australia leads the world in television piracy. <laughs> I have to say that as much as this is not the Star Trek comedy that I would have made and I don't love the animation style, I'm kind of excited for this. I am reserving judgment. That's fair. You're also not really a comedy person. 
I am not a comedy person. Which is not to say you don't have a sense of humor. Correct. I just, I like my comedy within the drama, I guess. Yeah. Or, other, or whatever other genre you want to input. I'm not a comedy for the sake of comedy, which is, it's just plenty of people are, but I'm never going to go to like a stand-up comedian and be excited about that. Like, it's yeah. just not my thing. Yeah. I don't watch late night guys. <laughs> No, me neither. And I'm not a big fan of like your animated comedies, your Rick and Morty and all that. But oh, I do I... suspect that if the fandom wasn't so awful, I would have watched Rick and Morty and enjoyed it. So I'm keeping an open mind. I like the characters and I like the cast. And the opening scene that we saw in the Comic-Con stream did make me mm -hmm. laugh. And after the trouble with Edward, I was really concerned that a Star Trek comedy would be cruel the way that short was cruel. And mm. I didn't think of that, but that is a very good fear. Very fair. Mm. I think that because this is... It's, the trouble with Edward was... I think it was... I don't want to say it was supposed to be cruel, but I think it started from a place of easy-to-go-to cruelty. Yes. And I get the impression that Lower Decks is more... That it's not it's not trying to be biting in any way. It's not there's no it's just supposed to be fun and funny and about these characters who never get to be in the spotlight. Mm. And sort of embracing the absurd aspects of Star Trek. Right. Well also so it seems to be wholeheartedly about the idea that these people are absolutely brilliant and they're absolutely socially maladjusted and that combination is funny and that goes for the senior officers as well as the junior officers i am open to comedy that explores the absurdity inherent in star trek yes and i think that aspect of it I, i'm excited for i agree with you that i like the characters all of them like have the cute little blurbs that i can really get behind mm. and i I'm a, I've said this before, I'm an animation snob. It's bad. It's really bad. Um, so I'm a little like, it's not the worst animation. It's not like The Simpsons or South Park or even Rick and Morty or no. Futurama. Like people are always like, you would love Futurama. And like, I can't, I can't watch it. <laughs> not a Matt Groening okay. fan. So it's not like that. I can watch it. And the it was interesting because the opening shots of the ships, I was kind of really into. They looked like paintings. Yeah. And that was really exciting to me. I was like, oh, this is, I like this. It, the people, they're exaggerated, non unrealistic people, and that's fine. That's part of animation, yeah, yeah. but it's not Disney. <laughs> so it's, it's hard for me. But like I said, I'm excited for new Star Trek. I'm excited to try something that is Star Trek not for me because I I feel like I've always come into all of the new shows with this is Star Trek for me. Like yes. A, like an idea of I'm excited for this and I, I this is giving me something that I'm really, uh, you know, can connect to and be a mm. part of and this is not. And so I sort of strangely am looking forward to that experience it almost releases it from the pressure of our expectations 
my main points of reservation are that the captain is a black woman and she is a side character because that's the nature of the series and the lead female is an underachieving black woman and maybe that's a stereotype that we should have avoided but i don't know and i'm kind of waiting for the african-american women of star trek mm-hmm. fandom to weigh in mm-hmm. so no pressure <laughs> I just I I'm like I'm preserving judgment and I, yeah I mean, the Clone Wars movie mm-hmm. I saw in the theaters obviously and I hated it <laughs> I was so angry at that movie I haven't even they seen introduced it. random characters that didn't make sense there was like there's only three years how are they gonna have all these people who don't exist by the time Revenge of the Sith comes in, who are, like, super important. Yeah. Oh, my God, they gave Anakin a Padawan. That's an (laughs) outrage. But then I watched the series, and I watched it with my daughter, who was Mm -hmm. the right age for it at that time, and it was sort of like, okay, this is Star Wars for my daughter, and that's kind of cool. We can watch it together, and it's, uh, it's continuing adventures of Anakin Skywalker, Padme like exists so <laughs> that's great so and it you know it grew on me and everyone says you know it gets going in season two and that's fair yeah I was all in and then when I got to the end not the most recent end but the first end <laughs> I you know I decided that I was going to start watching it because I felt like there were there were episodes I missed and I was doing these recaps with my daughter who is now much older and we were sort of revisiting the Clone Wars and I decided I would start with this movie because that's where it starts yeah and it wasn't horrible I didn't hate it because I knew these people I cared about Ahsoka and so yes her introduction is clunky yes it involves a baby hut always regrettable but like but I had the I had the goodwill of having watched the whole series and loved it, that I could come around and enjoy the film from that perspective. And so I feel like Lower Decks is going to, I'm going to have this same sort of, I'm initially going to be brushing up against the fact that it's not as pretty as I want it to be. And Mm. it's too focused on slapstick or, you know, the, the, Batla in the in the corridor. I was a little like, I'm not into this. <laughs> like I, but I get it from a physical comedy standpoint, and so I feel like if I can just find the characters that I care about and get to know them, that I will be able to enjoy it as Star Trek. And for what it's worth, it's not supposed to be rewriting <laughs> the Star no. Trek mythos. It's just supposed to be fun. No, and it's the sort of fun that they are deliberately slipping into the cracks of existing Star Trek, which I think is a good choice. And yeah, I just, I'm keen for it. I don't know if I'm really going to have much of of substance to say about it, but honestly... But maybe it doesn't need to have a lot said about it. (laughs) Exactly. Maybe it just needs to exist for fun and entertainment and, and to give people something to laugh about. That's what I was going to say. It's 2020 and we could all use a laugh. (laughs) So, yes. So I'm looking forward to it, but I'm looking forward to it with the caveat that I don't actually expect to like it. (laughs) But I'm hoping that it grows on me. 
honestly, you sound more open-minded than assuming you're not going to like it. Like you sound cautious, but if I say optimistic, don't yell at me. I just, you you don't sound terribly (laughs) negative, just realistic about your expectations. I'm I'm not a negative person. I know. Okay. You're being constructive. Yes. You're being positive. If you can, I'm, I'm fine with saying I'm optimistic about it. I okay, that's cool. Fair because I take, I don't, again, I'm, I'm not saying that I don't expect this to change the world. <laughs> so I just expect to enjoy it. Yeah. And honestly, if people love it and they start writing like super serious, dark, dramatic fan fiction about it, that's cool too. I'm into that. You know, we've know, been writing exactly. comedy fic about the super serious Star Treks. For, for many decades. Exactly. And then the only other thing they talked about on the panel was Strange New Worlds and it's in pre-production and I just think it's really good that they've got extra time to work on the writing side <laughs> of the Star Treks. <laughs> good point. Always my criticisms of modern Trek come down to the writing. Right. I have this hypothesis that CBS All Access, and this goes for all of its shows, wants prestige television on a network tv timeline and that's why we have so many amazing shows and amazing writers and then they just don't quite hang together they all need a little bit of a polish and this goes for the good fight and the twilight zone and all of that so time give everyone time cpsl access is such an interesting I, you know, again, I have all of the streaming sites and CBS mm. Electris still, <laughs> I don't have a station say, Peacock, I guess is out now and I don't have that because- I hear that has Sequest, which really excites me. <laughs> I hear that I can get it for free, at least partially. So I might try to get it for free, but right now my budget cannot withstand another. They've finally service. reached your limit. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. They finally reached my limit. And like SVU is on Hulu and Prime, I think. So. <laughs> okay. All I watch on NPC. <laughs> my flatmate and I have been watching Hannah, the uh, Prime series based on the movie. And I feel like it might be your jam. Teenage girl spy raises oh, yes. an assassin I've in the forest. I've seen the first season. I know the second season is out, mm. but I need to watch the first season again. Yes. Before I do it. Because it's very complicated. And also, I love the movie so much. I have not seen the movie. It just sort of came and went from cinemas before I had a chance. But we finished the first season yesterday, and tonight we're going to watch the movie. It's I, I love Hannah. I love the series and the movie. Everyone should go watch both. Awesome. <laughs> I like little advertisement for Hannah. The movie has Kate Blanchett in it. I know, and I feel so bad for the actress who plays that character in the TV series. Not because she's bad, I think she's very good, but imagine following in La Blanchett's footsteps. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. But I I love twisted family relations. Yes. (laughs) And the spies and the assassins and the the, the sort of non-Marvel Red Room scenario that they've created with all the girls. Yeah, it's a good time. Uh, I also watched Dust Boot, also a series based on a movie. Not a good time, 
bit of a downer. Uh, <laughs> a, a depiction of World War Two made by French and German people. Kind of depressing. Season two literally ends with half the cast either dead, dying, or on their way to concentration camps. And I'm like, oh dear. I respect that you did not pull your punches. Maybe you could have pulled your punches a little. Oh, I'm sorry. It's okay. Just, you know. I know, I know, I, I know the feels. <laughs> it turns out World War II wasn't very nice. Nope. I have taken multiple <laughs> classes. It's, it's pretty bad, all told. Let's not do that again. Let's instead talk about the other Star Trek panel of interest, which was sort of um, framed as a women in Star Trek panel, but was actually focused on the books. I am which is so excited. <laughs> like, the Lower Deck stuff and the very thin bits of news that came out of the main Star Trek panel were nice, but it was this panel that I was, like, joyously live-tweeting. Mm, yes. Because uh, it was, it's like they listened to you. They didn't even need... Okay, last year, for those who don't know, I spent a very long time collating data on gender parity across the decades in Star Trek tie-ins and what I found was that it dropped from 60% women authors in the 80s to 12% now. And I was, I, I'm still pretty dismayed about that. But what I learned during the panel was that while I was doing this research, Lauren, I think Lauren or Laura, of Saga Press, which has the Star Trek line now, uh, was already going to her bosses and going, hey, we need a strategy <laughs> to address this. So they haven't been formally announced yet, but we have a new novel from Cassandra Rose Clark, which doubles the number of women writing Star Trek novels, and also <laughs> one from a non-binary author, Alex, I think they're Alex White. I should have taken notes. And so, yeah, this is very exciting, and I'm looking forward to more diversity in the lineup. And this is not to criticise the male authors of Star Trek novels, but mm -mm. this is something they discussed in the panel, that... Uh, women tend to come from a fan fiction background and that's the level of emotional intensity that for example Una McCormack brings to her Star Trek novels and that's why I'm reading Star Trek novels and right the male authors tend to have a different background and they're aiming for a different purpose which is not a bad purpose but it's not the one that I personally want yes so I am also a book snob <laughs> Turns I, out. I, I, I and it's, if you yeah. can consider it a classic, I don't want to read it. <laughs> I've given many classics a go. I'm a very big Austin fan. I can tolerate a small amount of Brontes. Austin barely counts as a classic. Well, she is a lady. Say. Yeah. Yeah. She's a lady. Yeah. She's a lady who writes books about marriage. They're satire! Uh, yeah. <laughs> Anyway, so as a general rule, the works of female Star Trek novelists appeal to me more than men. I'm really keen to see how that works out with a non-binary author. Uh, I have a feeling they're mm. going to confound my expectations. Very pleased that it's actually not just me screaming in the wilderness and that Simon and Schuster is already doing something about this. And Cassandra Rose Clark's novel is a standalone TNG adventure. About the ladies. It is. You know, I thought the days of standalone Star Trek novels were done. Yes, I agree that that is a big thing. And I think 
that's what I really want to mm. get back to. I really want to get back to when we would get a new novel like every three months and they would have nothing to do with what was going on in the movies or in wider Star Trek. Mm. They were just like fun stories about these characters we love. I mean, it, it was fan fiction. It and was. And you're right that a lot of the writers were fanfic writers. And that was a plus. Yes. And so, obviously, I still read fan fiction, but the novels appeared <laughs> in my library and were always the same length and had a beginning, a middle, and an end mm. because they were required to. And as much as I love fanfic and I would never ever go against anything fan fiction i proudly am a fan fiction writer and i think it has improved my writing and my storytelling and my communication hmm. like a lot and also like my relationship with media i think yeah. that i understand why things resonate with me because of the way i've explored why they resonate with me with fan fiction Yes. So, like, fan fiction is absolutely great, but there are literally millions <laughs> of Star Trek fanfics out there, and finding the ones that I want to read is a daunting task. It's really, really difficult to sift through all of the stuff I don't want to read, yeah. <laughs> even with filters. Like, believe me, I have really, really worked at this. Oh, absolutely. I, I know how to use all the tags, and it's still, it's just such a huge fandom, and it's such an old fandom, Yeah, that it's really difficult to find new things, and good things, like the great things. Yes! What's great about the tie-ins is they're consistent, as you say, consistent in length, consistent in quality. Mm -hmm. uh, they've been through some kind of editorial process, which I am maybe a bit of a grammar snob and notice things like that. And <laughs> they're plotty gen fan fiction. Sometimes right. all I want is something nice and plotty. Like, if there's kissing, don't get me wrong, I'm totally up for plotty fanfic with a lot of kissing, but uh, Honestly, I think I have to write that myself most of the time. So, at its best, tie-in fiction fills a niche, and I'm glad that it's going back to filling that particular niche, and I don't need yes. to read half a dozen other novels, not necessarily about characters I care about, to, to get that fix. Right. And that's what I'm saying. I really, I really want to sort of divorce the novels from the rest of it. I know that that's like anti marketing people would hate me but i just feel that it gets to be you you don't get those really original stories honestly i don't know if marketing people would hate you because i feel like if you're dealing with a multi-pronged franchise the way star trek is then novels that a fan can pick up and read and that don't require a lot of backstory or extensive knowledge of the novel universe. I think that is more accessible to newcomers. So, you know, in an ideal situation, Simon and Schuster would have the resources to do both. Right. <laughs> then we get into all sorts of wanky, are the novels canon? Debates, which I... No, no. Again, I don't care. Yeah. I, just want, I just want someone in charge for like mm. literally every fandom, you know, to come out and say, it doesn't matter. 
Right. Whatever you want to be canon is canon, and whatever you don't want to be canon is not, and the end. Like, which, again, is something I learned from fan fiction. Yes. (laughs) It's like, I can take what I want, and I can ignore the rest, and Mm -hmm. it's, it's so freeing, and I'm so much happier as a fan of literally everything if I can just look at it from this wide view of I like what I like and that's (laughs) real to me and it's valid and it counts the end and obviously there should be continuity within like like all of the episodes of Star Trek Mm -hmm. Picard should should have the same story and through line but the episodes of Star Trek Picard and the tie-in novel of Star Trek Picard don't have to be like they can have some inconsistencies and that's okay yeah, yeah. That's, that's all I want. I personally would prefer as much consistency as possible, but I want the novels to take their cues from the TV series, not from other novels. Does that make sense? I think so, mm. yes. Anyway, I submitted my middle grade space opera to a publisher the other week, and so <gasps> as, soon as, it, as soon as it sells and I have achieved the fame and fortune that all authors of middle grade <laughs> fiction absolutely 100% get... Uh, I'm just going to turn up at Simon and Schuster and go, hey, maybe you don't want an Admiral Cornwall novel, but what if I write this one about Laris and the Coat having adventures? I support your dreams. Thank you. They're unlikely dreams, but I have them. You're doing better than me. My novel, <laughs> my novel is a television script at the moment, so I, I went a little, like I'm a little off. Off kilter. Not quite what you, the format you had in mind? Yeah, but I mean, it works as a television pilot, and I think it would be a great television series, and someone should definitely hire me. <laughs> <laughs> Let's uh, wrap up. It's been a short episode, but I don't really know that we can stretch out this conversation, unless anyone wants to know more about what we've been watching. Uh, uh, you should hit us up on Twitter and ask for recommendations. Yes. I and here's something I would like. Yes. I don't know. No one who's listening to this podcast wouldn't be a Star Trek fan already. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to do the reverse of what I normally offer. So what I normally offer is I say, tell me what you like to watch on television and I'll tell you which Star Trek series to watch. Yes. So I'm going to do the opposite of that. I'm going to say, tell me which Star Trek series you like and I'll tell you what non-Star Trek series to watch. Ooh. Oh, that's a good concept. I don't know that I watch enough TV to make it work for myself, but uh, if you tell me what you're into in Star Trek, I might be able to find your YA novel. Ooh, see? Excellent. I am now regretting making this offer and thinking I'm going to have to hit friends up (laughs) to help me out here. But, you know, it's a challenge. It's a way to pass the time. And in the meantime... Thank you for listening to Antimatterpod, despite our many ramblings about unrelated things. Ooh, we didn't even get to talk about Mo Ryan's expose of uh, the showrunner on uh, Hawaii Five-O and Magnum, which is not Star Trek related, but it's a C... No, no. (laughs) Here's the thing. Mo Ryan has been concentrating for a couple of years on HR and cultural issues at CBS, And I keep waiting for her to get to Star Trek because I feel like there are interesting things happening behind the scenes there, Mm. not necessarily to the level of abuse, but certainly like the incident where the African-American man was 
reprimanded by HR for using the N-word when he was telling a story of something that happened to him. Yes, And this overall problem at CBS where it seems like HR has a zero-tolerance policy for everyone except white men. But, you know, that plot line showed up on The Good Wife, I mean, on The Good Fight this uh, this season. And I just... That's so interesting. The Good Fight is a really interesting... It's really interesting. All of CBS is really interesting. It is, like, really 50% old school, all of these problems, and 50% millennials we're gonna try to like meet these problems head on Mm. it's just very interesting it's very corporate but trying to be like you said i didn't finish my uh my spiel about how cbs all access is sorry no it's okay but my point is that cbs access really is trying to walk a line between being a network and being something completely Mm. different from a network and it's sort of exciting because they are willing, like the difference between the good wife and the good fight, which are everything is the same. Like all of the show runners are the same. Half the cast is the same, but the weird stuff that did exist in the good wife, but only like every 12 episodes. Yeah. The peripheral weirdness is literally every episode of the good fight and there's like two normal episodes in a season and that's it's just really interesting it's sort of like because we're on this faux network like this secret underbelly of of the network we're allowed to do these things that we wouldn't get to do otherwise like they're letting us have a little more leeway and i think that star trek hasn't quite gotten there yet because we these Discovery and now Picard are our first new Star Trek, mm. right? So, like, they're the standard. They're the good wife, even though they're on CBS All Access. No, no. We have to get to, maybe Lower Decks is, like, the weird underbelly <laughs> of of standard Star Trek that is going to, you know, do more strange things. Like, they're going to explode out. And, I'm like, maybe season three of Discovery is, like, we finally get past our standard Picard can, like, we can pass the torch of mm. normal Star Trek to Picard, and now we can do what we really want to do, which is, like, this weird stuff, so... Yeah. <laughs> like, so, you know, long story short, I don't even remember why I started talking about CBS All Access again, but I, it is this weird in-between thing, and I think we should support it. <laughs> like, I think we should... Ask for more. There is something really culturally strange about CBS, and and I think the weirdness has its outlet in All Access. And I'm kind of curious to see the books that will come out about CBS in this period. Like, I think there's a book, I can't remember the title, but I think it might be Fade to Black. And it's a look at UPN and the W, the WB before they became Mm -hmm, the CW. And it was a really interesting book, and it goes into a lot of detail about how UPN, the network, completely screwed over Voyager and then right. didn't do much for Buffy either. Uh, but, yeah, I would like something like that for CBS and CBS All Access, <laughs> and maybe Mo Ryan can write it. Yeah. No pressure, Mo. I know you're a big fan of ours. <laughs> All these great ideas we're just sending out. Come on, guys. Yeah, come on, come on. Uh, back to the outro. Thank you for listening again. You can find our show notes at, at antimatterpod.tumblr.com, including links to our social media and credits for our theme music.
You can also find us on Twitter at, at @antimatterpod. Sometimes we post cat pictures and questions for our audience. This week we're inviting you to ask us for recommendations of other media. If you like us, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you consume your podcasts. The more reviews, the easier it is for new listeners to find us. And if you've made it this far, you definitely love us. Leave a five-star review. <laughs> Live long and prosper. Yeah. Join us in two weeks when we'll be talking about our first impressions of Lower Decks. I don't know if we'll be able to do like a weekly Lower Decks episode. I feel like we may not have much to say. But Maybe like the first episode and then the end of the season. That's, I can see that being a thing. Yeah, that's how Women at Warp do it with new series, isn't it? Yeah, like fir- first impressions and then sort of a recap of everything. I am happy to follow in Women at Warp's footsteps, as yeah, always. Always. Excellent. <laughs>